beautiful thing, isn't it? Go ahead, grab your Bibles. If you have one, please turn with me to John chapter 6 in the New Testament. That is between Luke and Acts. John chapter 6. Good morning, everybody. Morning, all of you online. You know how it is. Last week, someone suggested we fix the music behind the bumper. Can I say it's fixed? (laughs) Fixed, of course. That, if you don't know, was Canadian legend Stan Rogers. Stan Rogers capturing the hearts of all true Canadians, singing about the great Northwest passage. It's a classic, right? You guys listen to that weekly, right? Of course you do. Of course you do. You know what? We Canadians have a proud maritime history. We love to sing about it, right? All right. How about this? Gordon Lightfoot. National treasure. Gordon Lightfoot. He's got a star on the Walk of Fame. Okay, people? Classic. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the Great Lake they call Gitchigumi. All right, some of you think I'm really showing my age now, talking about Stan Rogers and Gordon Lightfoot, but listen to me. This stuff is timeless, okay? Not just timeless, it's viral. Parents know this because you hear it from your kid's bedroom. Last year, sea shanties went viral on TikTok. You guys don't even know what TikTok is. Or sea shanties for that. This is what it means. It means that millions of high school students are making videos of themselves singing along to sea shanties and then sharing those videos with their friends at school. That's what's going on. Okay, I didn't make it up. That's the thing. All right, listen, if you're watching this online from the United States, I'm thinking of Alice, I'm thinking of Pam. If you're watching this online from the United States, it is true. All Canadians live in igloos and we drive dog sleds, and if you meet us in a restaurant or pub anywhere in the world, if you buy us a pint, we will sing you a verse or two of the Northwest Passage, universal truth about Canadians. All right, maybe I made that up. Daryl, where are you going with this? I'm telling you this because if you really want to understand today's text, folks, from John chapter 6, it helps if you have felt the cold of a November fog. Yeah, if you felt the spray of the sea on your face, which if I'm being honest, I never have, okay? Uh, Even though I could sing about it for a price. All right, we are in week five, please, of our series uh, on the seven signs signs or miracles that Jesus uh, performed in the Gospel of John. I hope you found your way there, John chapter six, because the story we're looking at today is just gonna make way more sense to you If you have ever wondered, like Gordon Lightfoot wondered, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Have you ever asked that question? Yeah, sure you have. Even if Gordon Lightfoot isn't the soundtrack of your internal monologue, like he is obviously for me, um, have you ever been in a situation where you felt way beyond the safety of the shore? Or where you felt like you're taking a beating? buffeted by wind and waves. Maybe you can relate, right? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about moms and dads sitting up with their kids uh, praying for the fever to break. Or, or a season of unemployment where you've had an interview, but now you just wait and wonder, right? Maybe you've been there. Some of you uh, working through a painful divorce or a separation, and you're trying to be brave, and you're trying to be cooperative for the sake of your kids, and you try and hide that your heart is breaking. 
Yeah, folks, if you've ever felt exposed, if you've ever felt vulnerable, enough that it changed your prayer life, enough that it changed your playlist, uh, if, if ever it caused you to doubt the love of God, even for a minute as you wake up and wait for another day and wake up and wait for another day after that and you wake up and wait again and again, you're going to get today what maybe some other people you know don't yet understand. You're going to get this. This is going to make sense to you. Because this morning we're looking at John's account of the episode at sea. Yeah, John's account of the episode at sea. We're going to start this morning looking at some of the subtext of John chapter 6. We're going to talk about the miracle. We're going to talk about the message. Does that make sense? What do you mean by that? The subtext is what's going on underneath this familiar story. That's the subtext. Um, We don't necessarily learn this from all of the accounts Uh, Certainly not John, but all of this takes place uh, the day or days after Jesus' friend, John the Baptist, was murdered. Um, After Jesus tries to retreat across the lake to pray and to grieve, uh, only to find a crowd of people waiting for him, uh, many thousands of people we learned last week, what Tyler spoke about, and Jesus receives this crowd, and he teaches them, and he performs this miracle. If you missed it, go ahead and check that out on YouTube when you get home. Listen to Tyler's message. It was fantastic. And, and after all this happens, Jesus literally retreats up a trail into the mountains to be by himself for a while. I bet you can relate to that. Um, and so we're going to pick up this verse, excuse me, this story in verse, chap- verse 16, John chapter 6, verse 16. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off back across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them. And a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. This was not a nice night to be out on the water. Um, there's cold wind, rough seas. They were physically tired. Don't forget, they were emotionally spent. You remember this, right? You remember some of Jesus' disciples had been disciples of John first. They had been friends with John first uh, before they had started apprenticing with Jesus. And their friend, who they knew so well, had just been killed by a murderous tyrant. Some of them already had violent tendencies, some of the disciples, right? Some of them would love an excuse to march on the Capitol. And instead of being at home in their beds with their friends grieving uh, or whatever, they're at sea pulling hard against the wind and the waves trying to get to Capernaum, which in Hebrew means village of comfort. That makes sense too, doesn't it? Yeah, that's where they're trying to get. No matter how hard they try, they're not making any progress. And verse 19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles. Can you imagine why John might have included that detail? Let me tell you what I learned this week. This was new to me. Uh, Just like the surface of the earth is curved. We're all together on that, right? (laughs) I'm just, I don't want to take anything for granted. I'm just, okay. Assuming we're all together on this, just like the surface of the earth is curved, maybe you don't think of it like this. You guys know that the water is also curved. You guys know that seas, large bodies of water, don't actually lie flat. It follows the curve. Am I blowing your mind right now? 
it follows the curve of the earth, right? Um, it, it makes sense if you think about it. That means, listen to this, this is where it comes. If you're six feet tall, a little taller than me, and, and you're standing in a boat at the waterline, that means your eyes are five foot five. Do you know how far you can see into the horizon? Five kilometers. Five kilometers, or 3.10686 miles. You can see about three or four miles at most because of the curve of the earth. What is the point? There are limits to how far you can see ahead or behind you from where you're standing. That's the point. Yeah, even on a good day, folks, if you had 20-20 vision, if you're three or four miles out, no matter where you look, you're not going to be able to see the safety of the shore. There is no hope on the horizon. Even if there was hope on the horizon, you couldn't see it because you're three or four miles out. Does that make sense? On a good day, some of you are like, Daryl, I'm, I'm not comfortable with what you're telling me right now. I thought some of you might need to hear it. Maybe you're in a place this morning where you, you can't see what's coming. Um, all you know is you're pulling and praying and scanning the horizon for a sign of hope, a place to land, but as far out as you are into the place where God has put you. Do I need to let that settle for a bit? You have no way of knowing if you're making any progress. That's a pretty scary place to be, isn't it? Yeah. You might be ahead of the curve, or you might be totally lost. You have no way... I thought some of you might need to hear that. Yeah, some of you might need to hear that. When they had rowed about three or four miles in faithful obedience, but easily past the point where you totally lose your bearings, maybe even to the point where you totally lose your confidence, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. <laughs> I bet they were. Um, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Um, so Matthew's account of this story, if you know it, um, the disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. They started screaming like children. Do you remember that? It's a ghost. They thought for sure they were seeing a ghost. Jesus says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Uh, back in John, verse 21, they were willing then to take him into the boat. And before they could figure out how Jesus could have possibly pulled this off, John writes that immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Um, that's the miracle that we're talking about today. That's the miracle that we're talking about. So you've, you guys heard this story? Um, familiar story. Jesus walking on water is a Sunday school favorite, right? Um, but you notice that John does tell it different than some of the other versions you might be more accustomed to. Like Peter doesn't really, like Peter doesn't do anything exciting in John's version. Um, why is that? Because John's gospel, Tyler explained this before, uh, was written for a different purpose. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we call the synoptic gospels, right? That means they're synonymous or synonymous, excuse me, and not like cinnamon. They are synonymous. They, they are somewhat alike. They, they follow similarly the same form or function, but John's gospel is different. The story follows a bit of a different narrative arc. You guys know what a narrative arc is? Do you remember that from, from creative writing? Narrative I put up a chart, all you elementary school teachers are like, I teach this, Daryl, in my thing, right? I teach this. 
The narrative arc is the plot of the story, how the plot is constructed, right? So I, I want to make sure I fill in some of the subtext in John's gospel so you understand the narrative arc that he is spelling out. Um, to understand this story, you need to remember what Tyler taught last week when Jesus fed 5,000 people, which is just a few verses before today's text. Verse 14 says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15 says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, Jesus withdrew himself again to a mountain. Um, you might be a bit confused when you read that. You're like, but wait, isn't Jesus the prophet who was written about throughout the Old Testament, promised to come into the world, Daryl? Yes. Yes, he is. Didn't the angel Gabriel say to Mary, he will be great, will be called the, the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will have no end? Daryl, didn't... didn't Gabriel say this about Jesus? Yes. Yes. Daryl, isn't God's plan to make Jesus king? Listen, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This won't be the last time that you thought you knew God's plan, but it turned out you'd actually lost the plot. This won't be the last time this happens. Um, some of you know. Some of you know. Yep, I've been there. I've been there too. Listen, for whatever reason, it was important to John to highlight here that a lot of people in that crowd had expectations of what it was going to look like when the Messiah came into their lives to announce his kingdom. Just like a lot of Christians, right? Maybe all Christians at one point or another, they find out that some of what they expected their lives to be like when they started following Jesus isn't actually how it's going to turn out. And, and maybe isn't how it's turning out for you right now. A couple weeks ago, Tyler actually talked about something he called adventures and missing the point. Uh, why? Because it happens to all of us. It does. Sometimes we all lose the plot. Excuse me. We think we know God's will. Um, but, but things don't turn out at all like we thought they were going to. Anyone? <laughs> sure. Sure, in John chapter 6, they saw the miraculous signs that Jesus was performing, demonstrations of supernatural power, and they thought, man, this guy could do a lot of good, right? They thought Jesus should get into politics. He should jump into the issues of the day, they thought. But Jesus had a different kind of kingdom in mind, and that happens to all of us. In fact, if I were to survey the crowd right now, uh, online too, or, or in person. If Jesus were here in the flesh, imagine this, uh, right now, and we handed him the mic, what do you think Jesus would tell us uh, the issues were that he thought were important right now? Repent. Repent. Maybe, you know, maybe. maybe. In fact, I'm sure we could all make up a fantastic list. It would be a very good list, and we could proof text it. I'm just saying, if Jesus were here and we asked him, I think we would be surprised. Yeah. Anyone who has read the scriptures has to conclude that there will be some issues where we too would find out that we just lost the plot. Daryl, why would you say that? We're good Christians in this church. Listen, it happened to those closest to Jesus. And if it happened to them, it's bound to happen to us too. Give me some examples. Uh, Barnabas thought Paul had lost the plot about John Mark. Do you guys remember that story? They got into a scrap. 
not fisticuffs, but still a pretty heated argument about this. Uh, Barnabas thought Paul had lost the plot. Uh, so they actually parted company. Paul had canceled all you kids, John Mark, cancel culture. He had canceled John Mark, but Barnabas still believed in him. Paul thought Mark should be disqualified from ministry. God thought Mark would be the perfect person to write a gospel about Jesus. But Paul was ready to cancel him. Do you guys, do you guys remember that story now? Thank God for the Barnabases out there. And I'm not trying to villainize Paul. Paul's a legend. I'm just saying that sometimes the reason people fight, sometimes the reason conflict arises, is that sometimes good people lose the plot. It happens even to good people. It does. Yeah, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul, on the other side, confronts Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, he confronts Peter because Peter lost the plot. I don't know if you remember this story. Um, for the for the first part of, G of Peter's ministry in the early church, he was a champion of this idea that the church needed to be a place where non-churched, non-Jewish people could find Jesus and be welcomed into the family. But in Galatians, Paul tells us that there was this group of Christians at that time who had grown up in the faith, who had grown up Jewish, and they thought that the faith was for them. Do you guys remember the story? They wanted everyone to practice the faith like they had grown up practicing the faith. And these guys started to have a bad influence on Peter. What do I mean by that? Peter stopped hanging out with these new-to-faith people. He stopped eating with these Gentile Christians. Um, and, and, Pete, and Paul was ticked. Yeah, when Paul saw this, he was, he was infuriated by Peter's hypocrisy that he could on one hand defend this essential mission of the church and then i don't know shun avoid whatever treat so poorly the gentile christians peter had lost the plot yeah folks sometimes pastors forget sometimes whole churches of christians forget and they lose the plot um, they forget why they exist folks to help people who are far from god discover for themselves uh, the love of God that caused Jesus to move close to people, right? They forget um, what Jesus spent his lifetime doing. It's why this and every church exists. It should be the center of everything we do. We partner with Jesus in the mission and purpose that Jesus has always been about to seek and to save, to help, and to heal people whose lives are broken or who find themselves feeling lost. And folks, when people feel like they're adrift in an angry sea. Jesus comes near. That's the miracle today. Jesus comes near. Sometimes good people lose the plot. That's the point. Sometimes good people lose the plot. Sometimes it's misunderstanding that causes it. Sometimes misplaced expectations of how Jesus should be spending his time. Sometimes it happens when we get lost or afraid or forget the goodness of God for us. And so when evening came, the disciples, knowing that Jesus had gone off on a run to a solitary place to pray and to grieve what Herod had done to his friend John, to remove himself from the mislaid plans of well-intentioned Jews, the disciples went down to the lake and they got into a boat and they sent off across the lake for Capernaum. Uh, I mentioned the Synoptic Gospels. In Matthew and Mark's account of this, Jesus and his friends had talked about this. 
So the reason they took off without Jesus is because Jesus told them to. Jesus told them, I need to stay for a bit. So why don't you guys go on ahead and I'll meet you there later. In John, we don't get that part of the story. John just says that by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had throw, and excuse me, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Have you ever been working away in the kitchen or in your shop and I don't know, your spouse or someone walks up behind you and you don't hear them or know and you're not expecting them. So you turn around and you see them and you leap out of your skin because all of a sudden someone's, is it skulking? Is that the word? They're skulking. They're not just there. They must be doing something sinister to sneak up behind you. That's happened to you. Listen, there's nothing scary about Jesus. Right? I love I got an amen for that. Um, he's right in the story. There's nothing scary about Jesus, right? There's nothing scary about Jesus walking towards you. Like, we write songs about this, right? There are great hymns talking about Jesus drawing near. There's nothing scary about that. Jesus coming near is great. But finding yourself in a place that you didn't expect, that can be scary. Finding Jesus in a place where you didn't expect to see him can also be pretty unsettling. Yeah, and it happens. It happens. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the seven specific signs or miracles that John chose to record in his gospel, in this narrative that he was writing to share with the early church. And in John chapter 6, when Jesus' friends are three or four miles out, pulling against the wind and the storm, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. And when you look at, your, at this story, you've got to ask yourself, like, why? Why did Jesus walk on the water? I imagine he could have hopped in another boat. Like, maybe he could have hopped in another boat. Maybe he could have walked around the lake. He knew where they were going, and you could just walk around the lake. Why did Jesus walk on water? So I've been thinking about this, as maybe you do. I, I think the message of this miracle has something to do with fear. I do. I actually think it has something to do with fear. The reason John tells us this story, and more specifically, the power of God when we're in places of fear. Yeah, that's what this is about. The sea can be scary. And that's because the sea can be dangerous. Of course, these guys were used to that. Like, this isn't their first rodeo. It's not their first time around this boat. Capernaum is probably where Peter lived, a hometown. This was, this was his neck of the woods. Um, it's seeing Jesus, of course, walking on water through the storm that terrified them at least the first time, right? The first time you see someone walking on water, it freaks you out completely, I'll tell you. I don't know why I said that. Of course, I've never seen someone walking on water. Um, but is that true? Sure it is. Do you guys remember the first time your parents tried teaching you to swim? Do you remember that? I don't actually remember that, but I love swimming now. I can remember vividly the time my dad's friend, Russ German, threw me into the pool without my consent, okay? 
and I experienced the classic water wings fail. You guys know the water wings fail. You guys know how they work, those big, puffy, inflatable water wings. And the water wings fail is when you say, help me, I'm going to die. And so the water wings are up over your head. And so your face is underwater and you're drowning. They don't help if your arms are above. I've heard they fix them now, right? So they don't let your arms go up. I was, when I was a kid, parents, those were dangerous things. I remember the fear that I felt until they fished me out. How many of you know that the fear you feel the first time is different than how you feel after you've learned the lessons? That's just true, right? The, the fear you feel the first time is different than how you fear, even in the same experience, uh, exactly the same experience, once you've learned the lessons. I remember far better putting our own kids in swimming lessons. Um, our, our girls wanted to learn how to swim. Uh, Luana's laughing. My son, not so much. Yeah, not so much. When I read Matthew's account, when the disciples are sure that it's a ghost and they cry out in fear, I'm actually picturing the sound of the screams echoing through the pool that my son was making, still convinced to this day that the instructor was trying to drown him. And all the other parents wondering, whose kid is that? I give that kid a pill. Okay, just so we're clear, we're never told that Jesus walked on water again, okay? I'm not, before you email me, I'm not saying Jesus walked on water again. But you have to know, if he had, the second time they saw someone walking on water, they'd think it was Jesus. Instead of thinking it's a ghost, any time they saw someone walking on water, they're like, oh, Jesus, showing off again. There's a golfing joke about that, right? Where everybody goes before Jesus and hits it into the pond and Jesus just walks out of the water. Doesn't matter. Do you see how it works? Being out in the storm, being forced to face your fear is a great way to learn to recognize Jesus. That's it. Yeah, there's no, there's no better way to strengthen you for whatever might be coming and, and I think this is why on multiple occasions, Jesus sent them out way past the curve and right into the storm. I think Jesus did this on purpose. I think he did it all the time. Sometimes God sends us out into fearful situations. And I don't want you to sanitize that story in your minds. Sanctifying situations designed to exercise our faith, to focus our trust. Sometimes God sends us out on purpose into fearful situations. St. Ignatius of Loyola wrote, a thick and shapeless trunk would never believe that it could become a statue admired as a miracle of sculpture and would never consent to submit itself to the chisel of the sculptor who sees by his genius what he can make of it. And I confess in my life there have been all sorts of situations or seasons that I have, well, I never consented to. I never would consent to so many of the things that I've had to go through in my life. Some that I never fully submitted to, despite everything I know about the goodness of God. Kind of do this for a living, folks. But I still am a pretty tough patient sometimes. Despite everything I know about the goodness of grace of God, who... who who has purposed to sculpt something out of me. I still resist. Anybody else? Is that you? 
Some of you here today might be in a place where you don't like and you would never choose. And you don't realize yet that the very thing you're resisting is the place that he sent you. It's the place he sent you because it's the place he can shape you. It's the place where he'll save you. But you got to consent. you got to submit and let him do the work. you got to trust him in the storm. Isn't that true? In John chapter 6, Jesus sends his disciples out in a boat in what proved to be a pretty stormy night. And some of you right now are feeling adrift and you're questioning God's goodness as the waves turn the minutes to hours. Now you have a soundtrack for what you're going through. In John chapter 6, Jesus walked on the water through a storm to get to his friends, and that's the miracle. That's pretty good. I just think that's pretty cool. If that is where you find yourself today, man, even a supernatural hope, a miracle like that is possible. And when he reached them, right in the center of their fears... That's, I just want you to know how this works. You're like, Daryl, I don't want to consent. I don't want to submit to this. I want nothing to do with this. I want you to know how this works. If that's where you are, Jesus comes right into the center of your fears, and he spoke to them. Ego a me. Um, you might not recognize that. Ego a me. I am the I am. Do not be afraid. That was the message. Before Abraham was, I am. That was one of Jesus' statements of divinity. It's the same phrase. It's cool, eh? Yeah. I am. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. I am. What are the lessons? What are the lessons that you and I can take out of this um, miracle and message with us today? Um, I tried to I tried to draft these into some principles. Those of you who do like to take notes, go ahead and write these down. When in your obediences, you encounter obstacles, it doesn't actually mean you're outside of the plan of God. <laughs> he might have sent you right there. That's good news, right? Listen, we live in a beautiful but broken world filled with beautiful but broken people. God doesn't cause every storm that you go through in life, just so we're clear, because that's just the world we live in. But in John 6, God actually sent them into that storm. Knowing what was up ahead, God in his goodness will do that to you too sometimes. I know you're not liking that. I know that doesn't sound all that attractive. God in his goodness will sometimes send you into things and he knows what's up ahead and it might not be good. Ignatius wrote, all the things in this world are gifts of God created for us to be the means by which we can know him better, love him more surely, and serve him more faithfully. All things in this world are gifts. So when you encounter obstacles, even in your obediences, it doesn't mean you're outside of the plan of God. It might mean God has put you exactly where he wants you to be. And so the question, if that's true, is will you trust him to care for you until he gets you where you're going. Awesome. Lesson number two. When you find yourself in a situation when fear is, the, is only natural, it doesn't have to mean fear is inevitable. When you find yourself in a situation when fear is natural, it doesn't have to mean fear is 
inevitable, when it looks like fear is the best option, remember fear is not the only option you have. This is, this is the lesson that when you're in it, you hate. You're like, okay, buckle enough. Just sit down. Um, I get it. I get it. I just want to speak to those of you who have been battling fear in some part of your life now. In this incredible story, Jesus met them in the center of their fears. And just like in this story, nothing in all creation can keep him from meeting you in the center of yours. I know you hate fear. I know you want nothing more than to get out of your fears. But that's the place where he can meet you. And listen, it can be hard to recognize him when, when fear is whispering in your ear all the time, when the first thing you feel when you wake up in the morning is, is yesterday's fear come on you again. It can be hard to recognize him, but his promise for you is sure. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He will carry you through and get you to the place of comfort, just like in this story. As the worship team comes back up, uh, this morning. First, I just want to say that if you are here this morning and you recognize uh, that you want to know that God is at work in your life and maybe you're not sure, I really want to invite you to pray with me. Um, it can change uh, the situation you're going through. <laughs> it can change what the horizon looks like no matter how far out you feel, no matter how isolated or alone you feel. So I want to invite you to pray uh, with me. And let's, in fact, we're going to do this right now, and then, and then I'll get into the second part. Let's just pray. God, for those who are here today right now and desperately need to know you, they need to know uh, if there is a God. And if there is a God, does he care at all about what's going on in their lives? God, I pray that you would surprise them just like you did the disciples, that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would know there is a God, that he knows them by name, he intimately cares about what's going on in your life. All you need to do is call on his name. All you need to do is open your heart to receive the good gifts that he has for you. His promise is sure for you today. Amen. Listen. Uh, the surprising story of the Bible, right? The narrative arc of the whole scriptures is about that God who came near. That's the whole story. And discovering that I can live my life cultivating a friendship with that God changed my life entirely, despite what I had gone through before then and despite what I've gone through since. It changed everything. So I encourage you uh, to, to pray that kind of prayer. Um, just invite him to come into your life. Ask him to come and, and be, be that God for you. Um, the second thing I wanted to do is to invite anyone here who has been battling fear in an area of your life. I've been there. And, and it feels so overwhelming. You feel trapped by your fears. And you don't have to. God's message for you this morning for those of you who are feel like you're fighting or battling fear because of what's going on in your life is, is the same words of Jesus. Do not fear. I am the God who made you, and I'm here. I'm closer than you think. 
you're not out of reach of my care. Um, I, I think God wants to God wants to give you some freedom today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the worship team lead us in a song. It is a song that maybe you're afraid because you're, Daryl, the thing that, that I'm most afraid of is giving my life to him because I don't know what he's going to ask of me. I promise you just surrendering to the goodness of God, yielding your life to the goodness of God. It's the best decision you'll ever make and you'll, you'll experience freedom like you never have before um, and then after that um, Abby's going to come up here and, and we'll invite you if you want to have someone pray for you specifically uh, just for God to give you freedom from fear today what a doll she ain't afraid <laughs>